Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockin' Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Josh Matica. This is Before the Box Score. We're bringing back the dad pod. It's back, baby. The dad pod. <laughs> Now with more uh, dad energy than ever before. God, cutting your lawns, grilling your meats, raising your kids. We got some major dad energy here. Uh, everyone's pod is their, is their first episode. I understand that. Way back in 2019 and the before times, uh, Josh and I had a couple of episodes and we called it the dad pod because, hello, we're dads. So reuniting the band with BK still out in parts unknown, enjoying being married um, and not working. What a what a bum he is. Uh, Josh was uh, kind enough to jump in and, and, and talk about uh, the big thing this week. We're talking about recruiting. We could talk about how your Missouri football team's never lost to Kansas since 2011, but that would be rubbing salt into the basketball wound. So we're not really going to talk about that. We're going to focus on the good stuff, namely. Missouri recruiting. It is Wednesday. It is December 15th. It is 940 God's time. And uh, that's just to give you an idea, because there's there's going to be more commitments as we go through. But that's that's where we're at right now. Um, Joshua, your Missouri football Tigers recruiting class is ranked. Well, depends on where you look. 18th, uh, according to rivals. They are ranked 12th, according to 247. And they're ranked 10th, according to ESPN. The big question that I want to start off with, Josh, is uh, how do you feel about this recruiting class? Um, 
you know, it's, I mean, you feel good, obviously. Like, the, the I, when I was writing, so I wrote the takeaways piece today for Rock M, and what I wrote in the piece was, like, it, it kind of, there, there's, like, this um, strange dichotomy of that's happening in this class right now that includes the fact that so much cool, unexpected, un like stuff happened um, over the past year or so, um, bringing in Luther Burden and all these four-star people. I think just like the sheer amount of four-star talent that Drinkwitz and his staff was able to bring in was kind of the more surprising thing. I mean, they reel in a five-star every, you know, seven to ten years, but just like the sheer quality of the class as a whole is what was really surprising. And then things just kind of went silent over the past few weeks. Um, and as you got to signing day, you know, other than the other than the Wesselak commitment, which I'm sure we'll touch on a little bit, like there weren't really any surprises today. And, you know, that was like it, it kind of creates this sense that things aren't going as well or that things are are um, are finishing poorly. But really that's not the case. I mean, you look at where Mizzou is slotted right now in all these recruiting services and it's the best they've ever been. It's really hard to say anything but just high, high praise for Drinkwitz and his staff. So I think outside of the immediate emotion of signing day, because we've obviously been on, even since you've been on staff for the past few years, we've been on the receiving end of positive and negative surprises for Mizzou signing day. It kind of feels nice to just sit back at the end of the day and survey the landscape and say, hey, everything kind of went according to plan. It's it's kind of, it's like, it's peaceful. It's not as exciting, but it is, it's really cool at the end of the day when you see where Missouri has slotted itself on the national landscape. I mean, do you even want drama on, on signing day? Well, not, maybe not the type of drama that we saw today. Certainly, I, I was... <laughs> I, we'll, we're saving this for later in the podcast, I know, but I was like trolling around on Tomahawk Nation today, and I um I treated myself to about ten minutes of that shared Twitter space. Uh, Fire Mike Norvell. I don't know if you got in on that at any point. I did. Today. Yeah. yeah, that was that was everything that I ever want the social media experience to be: just people yelling at each other, um, just pure uncut emotion and sports fandom just meeting in the most unhealthy place and uh yeah i i I can't speak highly enough for the content that tomahawk nation and the fire mike norvell twitter space is going today i I would i would watch like a two-hour documentary about it tomorrow honestly i i did not anticipate listening to a florida state fan cry on the internet today but i heard that um so yeah i mean drama goes it cuts both ways um, when you, when you're in contention for highly ranked prospects, which Missouri historically has not been, but you know, they were this year when you're in contention for those types of players, there is drama that can be involved when they flip last minute. So yes, there is some value to just having a boring signing day. Uh, Missouri had, you know, we had well coming in, we had 15 guys, uh, 16 guys that could have signed. We ended up with 15 and then DJ Westlack signed, um, you know, Deshaun Woods is just like a grade issue here or there away from signing in February. So like that was really the only drama uh, everyone else said they were going to commit and did. And I'll tell you, like I would prefer that every single year, like just knowing, Hey, yeah, the guys who said that they were going to come are going to come. And like, you don't get anybody else, but you also don't lose anybody. To me, I think that's your perfect recruiting class because that tells you 
number one, the guys that you got are bought in. Number two, um, you don't need to look any further. You don't have to sweat about like, oh, we got to fill this position or anything like the, the you're, you're feeling confident about what the staff is doing. So I would prefer that. And that's what we got. And I thought that was great. Um, and again, you know, you're just looking at this class in two recruiting cycles. Eli Drinkwitz has signed more blue chip recruits than the previous five recruiting classes combined. Um, if he keeps this up by the middle of, you know, 2024, he will surpass every blue chip recruit who's ever signed with Missouri since 2000. Like it's insane. The clip that he's going at and coming in, you know, when we hired this guy, he was a bit of an unknown. He was Appalachian state's uh, head coach after being NC state's offensive coordinator. He was just this nerdy, chubby, short guy with glasses who talked like a Southerner had the game of, of a, of a salesman and, and came in and said, you know, oh, hey, we're going to we're going to maximize our resources in the state of Missouri and Chicago and Colorado. Uh, and we're going to, you know, we're going to we're going to make people proud to you know play for the back of the name, the name on the back of the jersey, the name on the front of the jersey. And so you think that he's going to do this kind of underdog recruiting and then blammo, he comes in and starts signing blue chippers right out the gate like this just speaks to the type of staff that he has as far as recruiting acumen. Um, and I mean, you're, you're looking at these classes. You couldn't, you could consider it a 2020 class. We can consider that since that was half his, but he only had a couple weeks to put it together. It was 54th. The ones that you're really thinking about right now, 2021, 20th, 2022, which again, as we mentioned, depending on where you're looking at 18th, 12th or 10th, this is a trend. This is not something that's going to go away, especially since he's been doing this with teams that finish at 500. Like imagine what happens when he wins seven or eight games. Like this is, this is why you hired the guy. And this is why you're excited about Missouri football flat out. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of what I've been thinking about. It's interesting coming from when Mizzou joined the sec kind of in the, the mid to early uh, 2010s. I remember at that point, a lot of the college football discourse around recruiting was do stars matter. Uh, specifically with like Mizzou fans because Gary Pinkle was such a kind of like a savant at turning those two and low three-star guys into diamond in the rough type players and sending them to the NFL. So really there was like this identity thing happening with Mizzou fans of, you know, you, you don't need a, a blue chipper to turn into an NFL player and you don't need a team full of blue chippers to turn into uh, a team that competes for uh, division titles and conference titles because Gary Pinkle was able to do that. He didn't do it super, super consistently, but he was able to reach those kind of heights that no one else was able to at Mizzou. Um, but what we've seen over the past few years is this greater recognition of, you know, like the importance of recruiting and, and what stars do mean in terms of, you know, what kind of output that has on your team and where and where the teams that get those better recruiting classes tend to finish just on average. Um, and, you know, I, I remember I was writing something, I think, about the basketball team the other day, and I was thinking about Eli Drinkwitz versus Conzo Martin. And um, and it is Conzo, by the way, Bill Self. I, I know he knows that. He's <laughs> being a jackass whenever he, he says Conzo. Anyway, um, this is not a basketball podcast. Y'all don't need any more of that in your life. Um, I was thinking about kind of the, 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 the idea of what we know about coaches. And at this point, we're, we're kind of coming up on three years of, 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 no, would it be two years? We're coming up on two years, full years of Eli Drinkwitz. And 
a lot of what we know about Eli Drinkwitz as a coach is still kind of out in the ether. Like we're not exactly sure. Like we have we have some good stuff that we've seen from him on the field in terms of the way that he is able to um, coax the most out of his players and the discipline that he installs in his teams. We've also seen some really questionable on-field decisions and personnel decisions that were like, okay, why is he doing this? Um, because, so kind of the, in, in some senses, the jury is still out on him as a coach, I think. I, I think certainly there it's not been all bad. It's not all been good. It's kind of a wait-and-see type situation. But I think the thing that is making so many people excited about what he's doing here is this recruiting. Like you were saying, this is not uh, this is not a one-year-over type thing and then it goes back to normal. No, the, the 2020 class happened. It's a salvage job. I mean, we see it all. We're seeing it all across the SEC this year with guys um, kind of trying to come in and salvage those last-minute classes when they get mm-hmm. hired. But then he turns his first, technically his first full, recruiting class into a top 25 class one of the top two or three best that mizzou has ever had and really if you think about it 2021 wasn't even the the full cycle it was more him inheriting these relationships that past coaches had started to make with these younger guys Mm -hmm. and then 2022 is really his first full cycle right it's when he comes in these guys are are rising juniors in high school and that is when that you really turn on the afterburners and you really turn on the heat to say hey I want you to come to Mizzou. Here's the what we're building. And what we saw was as he got more time to work with these kids and sell them on what his vision for Mizzou football is, he sold more people. And the rec- the commitments came and they stuck even in the face of, you know, advances from other more established SEC programs. Mm-hmm. So really to me the big takeaway is that like I, I think you and I are very much in on this idea of eating your vegetables, the the term that you throw around so much. Like you need to have the correct expectations so you're not like for your so you're not mentally killing yourself when things aren't going your way. Mm-hmm. But I think if there's anything that Mizzou fans shouldn't have to eat their vegetables out any about anymore is that it's it's recruiting. Yeah. Like Dringwitz has proven that he can get to this top twenty five, top twenty level. And he can do it fairly consistently. He's going to be able to bring in some of these higher end guys. He is not going to, um, he's not going to not make an effort at people that because it's like, oh, he, well, we might not be able to get him. No, he's going after those guys, and a good majority of the time, he's going to land the guys that he wants. You may not reach like top ten, top fifteen levels every year, but man, I, I, as weird as it feels to say. It, it, I mean, it doesn't feel unreasonable for Mizzou fans to expect talk 25 classes anymore because he's proven yeah. that he can do it. Yeah. I, I uh, this is going to be kind of ham fisted because it just kind of came to me, but think of, think of your, your head coach of your football team or basketball team, whatever. But in this case, we're talking about Eli Drinkwood. So let's talk about your relationship with your football coach. It's kind of like a marriage. And, and when I, when I view marriages, particularly, I look at it, Three things. Break it down into three categories. Number one, do you like each other? Number two, um, <laughs> what I'll call, is the romance there? And then number three, you got to be able to do business well together. And a lot of times relationships, you get two of the three, and that third one is the reason that it doesn't work out. Maybe, you know, romance is there, you like each other, but you don't do business well together. Like someone's never putting away, you know, the laundry or doing the dishes or like, 
you set up a vacation and someone has to do all the planning and like the other one just kind of scoffs at it. Like, okay, so that's, that's going to create friction or on the other side, maybe you guys do business great together. Maybe you do like each other, but the romance just isn't quite there to me. Eli Drinkwitz, you know, two years into it. Cause he was, he was hired, I think two years ago, a couple of days ago. Um, right now we like him, right? He's a good face of the program. He goes in front of a mic. He does, you know, cheeky fun things that are kind of, kind of nerdy but like still folksy good and like zaning everybody kind of like steve spurrier to a lighter extent um the business side is winning games and we're a little we haven't quite decided what that is yet again you finished 502 years in a row and it's like okay <laughs> one of those was that's way better than we anticipated that one was like well we thought it'd be a little bit better but the romance is recruiting and no matter what that's the thing that keeps you coming back to Eli Trinkwitz, regardless of whether the business is going well or, or you like him or not, you, you got the romance that is always on fire. So yes, I, I will say it out loud with Eli Drinkwitz at the helm. I fully expect Missouri to recruit at a top 30 level. The end, maybe you could push that to top 25. I don't know. Obviously that stuff kind of depends on availability and you know, what positions you need and blah, 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 all that stuff. But Point is, is that I do feel confident that Eli Drinkwitz can do that. Gary Pinkle was very much like the romance was sometimes there, sometimes wasn't, but you did business well and you liked the guy. So like, this is kind of the inverse of that so far, you know, three football seasons, two full recruiting classes in, that's where we're at. So as long as he can keep that recruiting fire of a burning, um, and, and win half your games or slightly more games than you should, um, he, he should be able to find success here long-term and he should keep the fans bought in. And, and man, sometimes that's the, as a college football coach at a power five level, sometimes that's, sometimes that's good enough. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you nailed it on the head, especially when you kind of talked about with, with what Gary Pinkle was able to do um, in terms of the way that he was almost like an inverse type of coach when it came to recruiting and, and when doing business and stuff. I also really appreciate you soft testing the, the potential launch of a new uh, relationship advice podcast, Ask Dr. Nate. <laughs> um, we'll see how the audience responds. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, uh, you want to get into yeah, the yeah, class a little bit? God, I do. Because this class, regardless of, of what you what you feel on the, on the large term, you know, whether you think it's, it's better than what you thought or not good enough, rabble, rabble. You can't deny the fact that Eli Drinkwitz kept a local kid named Luther Burden. He kept him technically on the Illinois side when he played in high school, but he kept him in the Missouri side. He, I mean, he started on the Missouri side. Yeah. He's a St. Louis kid. Like he played for Cardinal, Cardinal Ritter. I think. Yeah, I think was. so. Um, so like he's a St. Louis kid through and through. So he kept him and, uh, fought off Alabama, fought off Georgia, fought off Oklahoma. He is the crown jewel of this class full stop. And we've seen what he did at East St. Louis. We've seen what he's done in, in the in past years and the anticipation of what this kid can do for this team, I'm sure is just incredible and it depends on the person, but it's all just, you know, pie in the sky stuff. But Looking at it from an on-field and an off-field standpoint, what what does Luther Burden committing to Missouri, what what does that mean for this program long-term? Well, I mean, long-term, I I feel like long-term, I'm I'm probably loath to say exactly what it means. I do wonder kind of what Luther Burden's commitment signals about NIL stuff, um, which we're going to talk about that later, so I won't Mm -hmm. step on that too much. 
Um, in terms of what it means for the the four years, hopefully the three years, honestly, that that he is yeah. with Mizzou. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it means a lot. <laughs> I mean, anybody who's taken the time to read our site and and all the great work that you and Aaron and BK have put into kind of analyzing who Luther is as a player and what he's going to bring to this team. I, I, I don't feel the need to rehash any of that. Um, I will say it kind of reminds me for obvious reasons of the last time Mizzou got a highly rated wide receiver commit when uh, DGB mm-hmm. committed to Mizzou back at toward mm-hmm. the beginning of the SEC days. It's, it's, it's different because of, I, I mean, obviously I think Luther is a much more polished player. I mean, DGB was just a freak athlete who was able to come in and he made an impact just because of how, what a physical specimen he was. Burden is, is a very polished receiver and he runs good routes and he's got good hands and he's explosive and he's big and he's kind of like everything you would want a wide receiver to be. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just like, I mean, first of all, signifying that like high end guys want to play at Mizzou. Obviously that's a huge thing. I think even we are still feeling the ramifications of that from DGB. Like anytime you get a guy of that level, to say, I want to go play at Mizzou. That opens the eyes of the next person who could mm-hmm. potentially be that. Like, it, this is like a game of sliding doors that you could get into forever. But hmm. who's to say that Luther Burden even considers Mizzou without the possible, like, without like people like Drew Locke and Terry Beckner Jr. and Doriel Green Beckham saying, Yeah, I'm going to go play at Mizzou. You, I mean, you can't say for sure that that's the reason he chose Mizzou, right? But I mean, if they didn't, the, the it seems fair to think that the likelihood of him choosing mizzou would be less right um i would think so yeah yeah but so i mean luther's a great player he's he's gonna have a really good career at mizzou um i think to me the big key will be finding him a quarterback with which he's comfortable like without without prioritizing one player too much it's really going to be important for Drinko to identify going into um, going into camp next year because because Luther's going to be there for spring camp, so they'll have that opportunity to get him fully integrated into the system. Is find the quarterback that's going to work with him because if you are kind of playing against like your biggest weapon and playing against his skill set, that is like the quickest way to make sure that things are dysfunctional. So. Um, Again, without focusing too much on just one player who is part of an or- organism of a team, um, they really got to focus on, like, how do we maximize this guy's talent while we're here? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, from minute one next year of the first game, he is going to be the most talented player on the field. I don't know, like 75% of the time, whenever they're not <laughs> playing, like, Georgia or, yeah. like, any of the SEC West teams that they have to play. Mm-hmm. So... It's for, you know, when you look at Luther Burden's film, you see him do crossing routes. You see him do stop and go. You see him do hooks. You see him do running the nine round, just being fast. You saw him do everything. Granted, that's against high school competition. Granted, East St. Louis plays excellent high school competition. So this is not, it's not Texas. I understand that, but it was, it was no snuff. Okay. These, these are legitimate high school players who are going on and playing college. My fear is that we see him get uh, screen right, screen left, uh, <laughs> mesh, <laughs> like just kind of the 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 drink and dunk offense, which is, you know, get you to run three yards and then you make it happen with yards after the catch. Like, I, I hope that is not the answer because his skill set, his talent is that he can do pretty much anything that you want him to do. 
You just need to get a quarterback who can get it to him. So he is on, like you said, he's on campus starting this spring. Who are the quarterbacks that are going to be on campus? Well, Connor Bazelak, Brady Cook, Tyler Macon. You're not going to have Sam Horn until the summer. Sam is finishing his baseball career at Collins Hill uh, throughout the spring. Then he'll be on campus in the summer. So those are, what, 15, 20 practices that Mm -hmm. Burden is going to have without uh, his, his counterpart, uh, from the recruiting class at the quarterback position. So Bays, Brady and Macon are going to have their first crack at it. And you got to know, <laughs> I mean, regardless of what Drinkwood said today, uh, when he said that, uh, oh, you know, who knows, maybe Sam Horn starts, you know, first game next year. He's not, I, I know Drinkwood's <laughs> his, his tendency is to stick with the thing that's going to help you win. And he seems to think that Bazelak is that guy, even if he's at operating at 70%. So I already know that Bazelak's going to start game one of next year's. And, you know, so he's going to have all the spring practice with Burden and, and the fall practice too. But like you said, you want to make sure Burden is a, a key factor of this offense, despite the fact that he's going to be one of seven receivers, right? Like he is going to get bracketed coverage. He is not going to get every single passing target. But you want to see how that works. You want to see how a defense reacts to Luther Burden being on the field and what that does for everybody else. Luther will basically be probably stepping into position that Kiki Chisholm currently plays. So, you know, Towski Dove, you don't have to be a number one. Mookie Cooper, Dominic Lovett, you don't have to be, you know, the dynamic athlete. Because guess what? You got another one on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, let alone Jamarian Wayne and Mikai Miller, who this staff thinks were just as good to be the only receivers they got uh, if Luther Burden didn't commit. So, it's going to be really interesting to see the the workload of these receivers, especially the young ones, uh, because Luther Burden is is going to be the best player. Um, but how he's used and how he is balanced against everybody else who's just as talented is going to be very telling for what this offense can be. Well, yeah, and and Luther is also, and this goes without saying, kind of on some level, is he's just going to open things up for some of these guys that we didn't that we were excited to see this year, but then it was kind of a situation where they were put into situations or they were put into positions where it's like, it's not optimal for them to succeed. Right. So, I mean, I was personally, I didn't hate what we saw from Dominic Levitt or Mookie Cooper this season. I thought they were both, um, I thought they both acclimated well to their first season in a new program, especially for Cooper having not played competitive football in a few years. Um, Mm. The problem is they were just asked to do too much too quick. And the thing is, when you have a guy like Luther Burden, who where it's like it's almost nearly impossible to ask him to do too much too quick because he's that talented. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, those guys like Mookie Cooper and Dominic Lovett, like four like high four star guys in their own right, they just get the freedom to work a little bit more. So mm-hmm. even more so than just what Luther Burden will bring with his own talent, he's going to open up that receiving room and open up the weapons on that offense in such an exciting way. I'm I'm just really excited to see how the offense kind of adapts around him me too man um this this passing game this year was completely efficiency based Mm -hmm. it wasn't asking anybody to break a big one off it was hey give me three yards hey give me four yards um and so it was a very very boring safe passing offense now how much of that was base like how much is that the drinkwitz offense uh it's both i can't tell you what the what the ratios are going to be but this is really going to give us an idea of what Drinkwitz's offense can be. You know, he has never had um, 
I'll, I'll say a dual threat in Tyler Macon. I, I hesitate to say that. It always feels like, oh, you're a black quarterback. You must be a dual threat. Oh, you're a white quarterback. Oh, you're a pocket passer. Yeah. But like, that's kind of how this works. I mean, that's how you get uh, Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State. Everyone's saying, oh, he's a dual threat, even though he's the slowest MFer in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not always the case. But Tyler Macon, his skill set is he's got a cannon for an arm and he's very, very quick. Mm-hmm. Connor Bazelak makes safe throws and is a statue. So like Drinkwitz is used to that type of quarterback, the one that stands in the pocket and kind of surveys the field and makes the right decision. That's that's exactly what Ryan Finley was at North Carolina State. So I don't know if Macon is going to be his guy or if that opens things up, especially with the Luther Burden. You know, Sam Horn, he can scoot. You know, he's got baseball speed. We saw I don't know if you saw him in the playoffs, but he like had a 70 yard run uh, for a touchdown. Um, and I was like, okay, okay. The guy can move, but like, he's not, that's more like a Blaine Gabbert, Drew Locke kind of runner where you put him on a straight line and he'll go, but he's not juking. He's not, you know, scooting anybody out of their shoes. Um, so Sam Horn is very much kind of more of what Drinkwitz is used to. Tyler Macon could provide a lot, but we're not totally sure if Drinkwitz knows how to use him. So you, you add in this wild card in Luther Burden, like you said, it, it opens everybody up to do whatever they want to do with less pressure. And that includes the quarterback. Josh, I'm just concerned that we see the same thing again, where running back of the day and Tavoris Jones or, you know, Elijah Young or whoever gets 30 carries. And then you got a quarterback who's just throwing quick hit, quick hitting passes. And it's just, again, the most boring offense in the world. That's my fear. Yeah. I mean, the horn not being on, 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 um, on campus until the summer kind of complicates things. That's why at the beginning of the year, we, when we did, um, I think it was a pregame in the, off-season piece i think when one of the questions was like well what what um area what what position does drink need to shore up and everybody was like oh well we need a running back and i was like you know i wouldn't hate to see him go after like a one-year quarterback take a flyer on some guy who maybe can adapt to a little closer to what sam horn is going to be in the ensuing weeks um i I think i've kind of resigned myself to the fact that basilac probably is going to be the starter Year one, I mean, I guess if you want to hope beyond hope that like maybe th- there was some injury stuff affecting him more than maybe po- the what sure. we were seeing. Um, I don't know, man. It's it's hard. It's hard to get pessimistic after a, a day like today. So um, <laughs> I'm just excited to see what, like I said kind of earlier, what burdens, what the effect of having burden on the roster and on the field, kind of how the rest of the team adapts to him. Because mm-hmm. even a guy like Basilak can benefit from someone like Burden who can turn an efficiency pass into something more. Or who maybe you can afford to take some risks that Connor Basilak is known to take because sure. you know that Burden is going to make a play on him. You know? Sure. So so that's the type of player he is. And I'm really excited to see him in black and gold. You you see you saw a lot of love and personnel. Sometimes you had, you know, one tight end, one running back. You also sometimes saw drink utilized two tight ends where you put dpj and nico hay out there when you have luther burden mookie cooper dominic lovett jj hester wayne miller looper like how many times are these going to trot out no tight end <laughs> how many times are we going to trot out you know a tight end and you know not even a running back like you saw some empty formations um against arkansas with 80 split out wide but like there is a lot of athleticism in the receiving core, not a lot of proven athleticism, but you got the dudes, you got the touchdown makers. That's what, you know, Drinkwitz has been talking about since he mm-hmm. got on campus, but buddy, you got him. And I know it's, they're young, but like, okay, what are you going to do with it? 
Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I don't know what the personnel or, or the packages or kind of formations that we're using, but yeah, this, this opens up a lot of stuff and that's Luther burden on the field. Luther burden off the field is, Hey, this five-star came here. You can too. Uh, obviously East St. Louis is continuously just churning out talented kids from football. Hey, they just saw one of their guys go. Why not me? There's plenty of talented offensive linemen that are coming in the pipe for this next recruiting, uh, recruiting class. So like, this means a lot for perception, both local and national, uh, and then on the impact on the field as well. So it's it's positive stuff, and we're very glad that uh, <sighs> touchdown Luther, which we still need to work on that, but I'm glad that he uh, that he chose to to go with Mizzou. We got we got thicker rolling pretty 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 heavy after uh, after Mavis debuted. So I'm sure we can come up with something for for Luther that people will adopt and then not give us credit for. So it's, it's what we're best at. Yeah. <laughs> it's what we're best at, but look, I I'm a giver and all I want is people to enjoy. So, um, we'll, we'll work on it. I'll get in the lab and think it out. So obviously we wax poetic about burden, but guess what? There's, there's 15 other guys who've signed and there's going to be more coming down the pipe, especially from the transfer portal. But all that aside, Josh, from the recruits that signed today, the ones that we know they fax it in, they're on the team. They're good to go. From the non-burden category, what recruit are you most excited to see? Um, so before I say it, I'm gonna give a little love to our guy, uh, our guy Aaron Dryden, who just an incredibly talented writer and reporter and 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 basically relationship maker on our staff. I've been super excited to have him on the team. Um, one of his big guys in this class was Marquis Gracial out of uh, mm-hmm. St. Charles. Um, I'll go ahead and say it out front. I am from the city of St. Charles. So there is like a, there's a thing happening there with me where it's like, it's cool <laughs> to see someone from the place that I grew up with go to Mizzou. Mm-hmm. But even more so than that, I think he, he was a guy that was pretty highly regarded. Um, and, and what we saw after he committed to Mizzou is it was pretty well known that Alabama made a big push for him. And that Mizzou kind of had to hold on to him pretty tightly. And it was something that they were able to do. But I think the thing that his recruitment and his commitment ends up speaking to is the fact that when we talk about like Mizzou locking down the borders and, and really recruiting well in the state of Missouri, I think what people don't realize is that Mizzou has probably a, a higher or a better, I don't really know what the right word to use is, in, in like the bigger cities like Kansas City and St. Louis um, and like these bigger schools where a lot of schools are going to recruit guys like East St. Louis, like there, you see a lot of guys come to, to Mizzou from East St. Louis. Like there is a bit mm-hmm. of a pipeline there at this point, but when you go to like the suburbs and like the cities in like the St. Louis area or the St. Charles County area, those people, like there's not like a huge connection to Mizzou in those areas. I mean, I, I'm a Mizzou grad. I, I loved my experience at Mizzou. My dad raised me as like a borderline Mizzou fan, but like, <laughs> I didn't have like a ton of loyalty to Mizzou. I was like a North Carolina basketball fan when I was younger, mm. just because they were good. No. And you see a lot of that with like these guys in the suburbs, especially these high profile, high skill athletes who all of a sudden have like the world in front of them. And you've got Nick Saban on the phone being like, Hey, come play football for me. <laughs> it's at, when you don't have a connection to Mizzou and you're not like in one of these bigger, like sexier areas, like, the city of St. Louis or Kansas city that Mizzou is recruiting. And you're just in St. Charles, like Mizzou doesn't look as attractive. The fact that Drinkwitz has talked so much about recruiting all places in the state of Missouri. I think people tend to think of that as like, well, he's going to all the different areas of the state. 
And while that's true, he's also recruiting the periphery of the bigger areas of the state. And that's massively, massively important. Like, Mm -hmm. you are always going to be able to get some guys from St. Louis, like, proper, or Kansas City proper. But, like, this year, he was pulling guys from St. Charles, and he pulled someone from Boonville that a lot of other schools Mm -hmm. wanted. Like, Marquis Gracial is such a high-end talent that comes from an area, to me, and I say this from experience, doesn't have, like, a ton of Mizzou-heavy connections. And to Mm -hmm. me, that is, like, the proof of concept of what Drinkwitz is saying when he's like, we're going to recruit the state of Missouri better than Mizzou has ever recruited it. When you are pulling guys from like suburbs who are not like the the sexier areas that all these schools are recruiting, to me, that's that's kind of like the proof is in the pudding, right? Like he is Mm -hmm. backing up what he's saying because he's able to pull these guys um, that may or may not have heard from schools like Mizzou anymore. Like I can't tell you the last time I remember ever hearing about a St. Charles High School guy getting Mizzou offers and stuff. So to yeah. me, that's like, I mean, other than just like Graciel's extremely evident talent, and, and I'm super excited to see what he does on the line. To me, it's kind of like thinking about that bigger picture. What does his commitment mean? And like I said, it, it's just proof of concept that Drinkwitz is following through on what he said he was going to do. I, I agree. I mean, he, he is putting in the work to build the relationships. And that's something that... Prior staffs didn't really uh, prioritize. Uh, uh, maybe some staffs that were more football coaches than relationship builders. Um, that's that's important because you there are going to be talented kids in Missouri. You can't just recruit the state. Like if you put together, you know, let's say the all state team and, and try them out, they'd probably I don't know finish middle of the SEC, maybe middle bottom. So you gotta you gotta get some other kids in there too, which is fine. But there are some talented blue chippers that you're going to find and you're never sure where they're really going to come from probably the st louis area or kansas city area but you never know um and then there's always the 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 diamonds in the rough you go into st charles to talk to marquise and maybe you see a a sophomore or junior running back who might not have been looked at much right now but you know his senior year he blows up and guess what he already knows drink he was talking to marquise last year now he's talking to me like this this is the sort of work that you got to put in to, to find these guys and bring them in from a local standpoint. So that's why relationships matter. That's why when you pull kids from the same school over and over again, that, that speaks volumes to like what you can do as a recruiter. Uh, the Odom staff kind of recruited from all over the place because they really didn't have those relationships. They really weren't good at, good at building that up. They're great football coaches, but they couldn't establish that trust. So they just kind of took kids who, talk, who who would talk to them, schools who would talk to them. This is proof of concept. This is putting in the effort to build those relationships in those population centers, including, like you said, the fringe, um, to capitalize on any talent that comes through. And obviously, uh, Graciela would be my, was the most exciting guy for me, too. I, I will admit that. But just, just to be a little bit different, can I talk to you about Xavier Simmons real quick? Hey, that, he's North Carolina, man. That's like hitting me close to home on the I other know. side. I know. Hitting you in the Appalachia. I mean, so. Appalachia. Sorry. I, I, I have to say that. Sorry, I'm from I'm from Missouri. I don't pronounce anything the way it's supposed to be pronounced. <clears throat> Versailles, Versailles. Um, so Xavier Simmons is really interesting to me. Obviously, the last North Carolina guy we had was Larry Roundtree, and he did pretty well. Uh, but Xavier was a was a five point six, five point five kind of middle three star kid, and then he had his senior season, and he he bumped up 
in ratings. I think he's he's almost a he's a borderline four star linebacker for rivals. I know that. Fifteenth best linebacker in the country. Ninth best player in North Carolina, which is, you know, that's pretty big state, pretty populous state. And guess what Missouri needs? They need some linebackers. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be Nick Bolton. And even, hey, even Nick Bolton had to prove himself on special teams for the first year. So, like, that's, I'm not saying he's going to make an instant impact. What I am going to say is that he really had a tremendous senior season. And he is a massive position of need. I don't know what he's going to be able to do once he gets on the field, once he gets in the practice reps. But, like, I'm really curious to see what he can do, especially since he is the only linebacker that's incoming from the high school ranks. I'm sure there'll be some transfers that fill out the linebacking core, but this is a guy uh, based nothing off of what I've seen on tape for the past year that like, okay, this is a guy that you can build your linebacking core around. Devin Nicholson's gone in in like two years. Chad Bailey's going to be gone in two years. He takes this year to either redshirt a special team and then get his feet underneath him next year. And boom, now you've got a proven linebacker with a pretty decent pedigree uh, and hopefully a track record of success and hard work. And man, like this is, this is a good piece to build around if it clicks for him at the college level. Yeah, I, I always think of whenever linebackers come in, I, I always immediately think of like, okay, where where are they going to fit in on special teams? Because that's generally where those guys slot in first. And, and mm-hmm. you know, some guys get some playing time um, in the linebacking spots right away. But um, yeah, I'll be I'll be definitely keeping an eye out on him. I, I thought about him a lot whenever I was choosing that player, if only specifically too, because this is the second year in a row that Drinkwitz has pulled a linebacker out of North Carolina. Damian Wilson mm-hmm. was the guy from last year's class. So um, I'm interested to see like if maybe there's a pipeline. I mean, we know he has a history with um, with North Carolina. So mm-hmm. um, but yeah, Xavier Simmons, um, that was that was an interesting recruitment, too, because they flipped him pretty quickly from Virginia Tech. So, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the good thing about this class is because it's so it's not just like top heavy. There's so much depth in terms of like interesting players. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of guys that you could pick out that are exciting to see. And, and Simmons is certainly one of them. I mean, it's it's tough not to pick a blue chipper. I know that. Obviously, Luther Bird and Sam Horn. Tavoris Jones out of El Paso. Isaac Thompson from SLU. Um, Marcus Scott. Uh, four star and rivals, three star to twenty four seven. He's um, a four star. Might as well just pick the one that looks the best. Yes. Um, Deshaun Woods, by the way, uh, also a blue chipper. He was the uh, number one recruit from Nebraska. Grade issues apparently is is the reason why he didn't sign today. Uh, don't freak out. Uh, if you remember from his from like a couple of the recruiting profiles written about him, like he's a smart kid. He wants to be like in pharmaceuticals or something like that. Um, so just cause you have grade issues doesn't mean you're not smart. I mean, think back to like, think about the things you were good at at high school, whatever topics that was. And then think about the classes that you sucked at. Like maybe it's a creative writing class that he really freaking hates. Maybe it's like, I don't know, some kind of chemistry. Well, I get, if he's going to be a pharmaceutical guy, probably not chemistry, but I don't know. Like maybe history, maybe, maybe the social sciences are not his thing. It's the, it's the physical sciences. And like, maybe that's what he's struggling with. So like it, I'm not worried. Obviously it's the internet. People are going to freak out about anything, but like Drinkwitz is playing on him signing in February. It'll be a couple months. It's going to be fine. He's going to work it out. And if he doesn't, that's fine. We got three other awesome offensive linemen that are going to be signing too. So like, I'm feeling pretty good about that one regardless. Um, looking at the, cause you mentioned the depth and obviously it's easy to pick blue chippers, but just from like, 
looking at the roster right now, or at least the projected roster for the spring, and looking at positions of need and the guys that we currently have, of the freshmen, of the incoming freshmen, who do you see, dare I say, starting game one? Oh, man. Well... I mean, obviously, the 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 elephant in the and and you and in the notes you put this like, what is the non-burden category? Because he yeah. is the answer to all of these questions, Pretty right? Much. Yeah. Man, I don't know. I think there's a lot of ways you could go with this. Like, I could see Marquise Graciel getting some early snaps on the line. Um, I could see, uh, gosh, I could see uh, Wayne or Miller getting some some early mm-hmm. playing time because, like you said, there's a lot of wide receiver depth, but not a lot of it is proven at this point. I think to me the there were two guys that I that I um, kind of pinpointed and and I'll I'll go through them fairly quickly here. The first one is Tavoris Jones. Um, we've talked mm-hmm. about him a little bit, running back out of Texas. Really exciting prospect who I think is getting maybe not the short the short shift here just because of this is um, I mean obviously he's very talented and we're super excited to have him, but um. I just remember watching his tape and being like, wow, it's kind of weird that we're not talking about this guy more and what he's able to do. And mm-hmm. with Tyler Beatty gone, the running back room is kind of wide open right now. I think Elijah Young had an opportunity this year to kind of cement himself as the next guy up. And what were we seeing by the end of the year? Michael Cox was getting a lot of reps, right? Mm-hmm. And that's nothing against Michael Cox. He, he was playing really, really well. Um, but I think there's an opportunity that if Jones wants to get some significant snaps early on, I mean, the opportunity is there. We've seen Drinkwitz is going to use his running backs. He is not afraid to give his running backs a ton of touches, mm-hmm. especially if Jones can be a weapon in the passing game. The, the opportunity is going to be there for him to get early snaps. Um, the uh, the other guy that I'm really excited to see what he can do is Mac Wisner. Um, yes. Um, I mean, obviously, we've had, like, a mass exodus of tight ends since the end of the season, specifically with, like, Daniel Parker Jr., who was such a key um, blocker to this mm-hmm. system. I, I mean, and he, I mean, he caught passes when he could, but he, he played a role for sure. And Wisner is just like a beast of a person. Um, and, and obviously, Nico Hayes very talented. Ryan Horsecamp is going to get the opportunity to get some snaps. A horse. Yes. Yeah, I know that's you and BK's guy. Um, <laughs> but I think, but, but again, kind of the same thing that I said with Jones. I think the opportunity is going to be there for Wisner early on to get those snaps. And I think, too, part of what plays into that is it seems pretty clear to me that Drinkwitz really values leadership in, in, mm-hmm. in the people that are playing for him. I think it's probably part of the reason that Basilak, um played so much, even as like fans were screaming for him to not be <laughs> playing so much, was because mm-hmm. he was a team captain. And, and personality aside, he seems to be pretty stoic, but it seemed like he had the belief of a lot of players in that locker room. And what have we heard about Wisner this entire recruitment cycle? He was the guy that did the work. Like he was recruiting guys. He was on campus whenever Luther Burden was there. And he Mm -hmm. was like putting in the work to make sure that Luther Burden came back. He seems to have some of those intangible qualities that I think Drinkwitz values. And I mean, if he can't play early on, he can't play. That's not going to matter. But, um, Again, because of who he seems to be, like in terms of a, it's not off the field because leadership is not like some some quality that is absent from on the field um, production. But if he can find some way to contribute meaningfully, I mean, he's gonna get early snaps. Like yeah. he may not catch passes like Nico Hay, 
but I mean, he's going to get the opportunity to do it. So I think Jones and Wisner are two guys to look for early on. And I think throwing Simmons in there as like a special teams guy too, is probably worth looking out for. Yeah. I, I don't, I, well, to answer my own question, I think there's only one actual answer to someone who gets starting level snaps. And that is Tavoris Jones. Yeah. Because he is so talented. And because he's walking into a unit that's pretty unproven, or at least hasn't set themselves apart. I think that's really the only answer. Don't pick any offensive lineman unless you are Elvis Fisher or Evan Bain. Freshmen do not start on the offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Tr- DJ Weselak is walking into a defensive end room with nine other dudes. So, mm-hmm. no. Um, I think Mikai Miller and Jamarian Wayne get rotations, but mm, that's Luther Bird in there. Um, and so I think it really is just Tavoris Jones. As far as Wisner, I see, I say Wisner, BK says Wisner. I kind of want him to be Wisner because we can call him the Wiz or like, you know, well, there's a couple ways you can You could also call him Max the Wise. Oh, damn. Yeah, it's got to be Wisner. That's okay. So, yeah, I think Nico Hay and, uh, Blanking on the kid. The horse, duh. Um, Gavin McKay didn't play at all. He's probably not going to be playing at all. And he's more of a receiving tight end anyway. Drinkwitz tends to play three tight ends, not like on a regular rotation, but he goes three deep. You saw Swinson kind of off and on throughout the year. So I do think Wisner can come in as a blocking guy, uh, but he's also 6'6, 240. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like he's got the height. I don't know how much, how good his hands are. His, his highlight type tape wasn't a lot of like, impressive route running or catching but he can do it yeah well to me the first answer was jones like that was that was to me the guy that stood out yeah yeah like isaac thompson no uh also probably cross you know because well i don't know you got two you got two tackles in wingo and uh darius uh Robinson. robinson there we go like they they are gonna get like probably a starting credit but like you got to rotate four, so I do think Rossiel gets rotated in, but like I think it's going to be Jones who's going to be the starting. As far as guys who are going to have like the biggest impact, non-Luther Burden category, it is going to be Jones. I do think you're going to see, you know, Marcus Scott is kind of built like a nickel, and obviously Chris Abrams-Drain is going to be your starting nickel pretty much throughout the entire year, assuming no injury, but like Marcus Scott's very very fast and he's also 6'2 or allegedly 6'2 i could see him coming in you know especially on running downs and kind of being that enforcer from the nickel spot um xavier simmons on special teams or linebacker and then really the impact mikhail miller and jamarian wayne because Mm -hmm. if they don't earn if they don't siphon off snaps from the other receivers then that means they're making the other receivers better (laughs) so i i think that those are the ones that are going to be seeing the impact at least in 20 uh, 2022, um, kind of anything beyond that is tough to tell, especially with transfers in, transfers out, all that stuff. But um, impact players: Jones, Graciel, Simmons, Scott, and then two the two other receivers, Miller and Wayne. What do you think? I think that's fair. Um, I think long term, one guy I'm still really excited about, and we I, we don't have to talk about him too much, is um, Isaac Thompson. Um, mm-hmm. he I think he's a really exciting prospect, but I think at this point you've got a, a fairly good crop of guys back there at safety who you can work with. 
-hmm. and i think being able to afford not throwing him to the wolves like right away is going to be really good for him um so i think kind of giving him that time to develop for a year or two at least will be really good for him but i am excited to see what he can do kind of in his later years as a tiger i mean martez manuel is going to be entering his fourth year as a tiger Mm -hmm. it's not i mean i'm not an nfl guy but like it's not out of the question that he could leave after Mm -hmm. this this year this 2022 year that would leave you jalen carlice who who would finish his third year Jelani Williams, who's been a spot starter, uh, Tyler Jones, Tyler Hibbler, and Stacey Brown. So, like, he is, Isaac Thompson's walking into a, a situation where, A, he has time to develop, and B, needs time to develop, because yeah. he, like, tore every ligament in his knee that he possibly could. Yeah. Uh, the Henry Josie, if you will. So, like, he's not going to be 100% the day he steps on campus, which is good uh, for his development, because uh, we don't need him immediately. But I, I am excited, because, like, how much, I don't know if you watched much of his tape, but like that dude, woo, he, he was an enforcer. It was fun. Yeah. Yeah. He goes after it, man. So I think that, I think he's going to be an exciting prospect to look kind of long-term. I want to talk about a story that you brought up in your recruiting recap. And it revolves around uh, the number one, well, one of the number one, players in the country he was number one by 247 in rivals i think that's good enough to say he was the number one. so both okay yeah i mean everyone's kind of got their own number one but those are the two that kind of matter the most so let's say yeah let's say the number one recruit in the country uh travis hunter he's uh listed as an athlete as far as the recruiting services go he played receiver and corner the dude had been committed to florida state for not one but two calendar years yeah march 2020 was when he committed. Oh, it was okay. Almost two calendars. I mean, that's uh, basically it. Yeah. So a long time, long, uh-huh. long, long time. And he flipped on early signing day and he didn't flip to just anybody. He flipped to an HBCU, historically black college named Jackson state. Who, run who, by, uh, who's the coach at Jackson state? Well, <clears throat> if you pay attention to any Affleck commercial over the past four months, it's coach <laughs> prime. Deion Sanders. Neon Deion. Florida State alum, by the way. Um, he tough, flipped. Tough day for them. <laughs> he flipped to Jackson State. So, did you see the? Because he's a Colin Hill guy, so like he was there with with Sam Horn. Did you did you hear the commentary from whoever was standing next to the camera when he signed? Like, like did I watch the video of him? Yeah, it was wild, man. That was like peak peak content right there. It was so there good. was there was a guy in in the in the actual room next to the camera who says loud enough for the for the mic to pick it up he's signing a million dollar contract right there that's worth a million dollars so the first thing that comes out number one what the hell number two this is nil this is what nil is is this what we wanted to want after years and years and years and years of saying oh the blue bloods are gonna just clean house. When they can make, when they can pay the players, Jackson State comes in and says, "Are you sure about that?" And they swipe the number one recruit in the nation from Florida freaking state. Well, the narrative is good as hell too because it's like, what were we hearing last week? Whenever Quinn Ewers went on the market from Ohio <laughs> State, it was like every every gray haired uh, college football writer was like, "Oh, the co- it's like the NIL wars are on. Like, they're Texas is going to weaponize <clears throat> their money." 
And then like <laughs> a week and a half later, the number one recruit in the country is like, I'm going to go play for an HBCU. Um, and, and like just for, for apparently what is, what is rumored to be a pretty big deal. So it's like, clearly we don't have an understanding of quite how this is going to work. yet. No, no, that's, because it's the internet and the internet has to draw long sweeping conclusions from momentary instances that may or may not ever happen again. They're saying that, you know, this, this is the beginning. This is the FCS uprising guys. No, don't, 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 don't do that. We don't know what happened. It just happened today. You can't extrapolate 10 years of activity based off of one instance. I'll tell you, Josh, I, I don't think this changes much. This obviously changes Travis Henry's future and Jackson state's future. Um, but this is, I mean, let's, we'll, we'll kind of, again, now at this point it's 1033 central. So like, we'll tell you what we know so far. I, I haven't yet to see if it's confirmed. I think most people are playing coy with it, but the, the concept is that Deion Sanders coach prime, sorry, coach prime is actually employed by barstool sports. He does a podcast for them, a weekly podcast. How he does that and manages a team that went 11 and one beyond me. Um, but he does that. So he's an employee for Barstool. The NIL money apparently is coming from Barstool. And it sounds like they're going to do a behind the scenes documentary of Travis Henry's career at Jackson State. Kind of a full access sort of thing. Um, so that's that's kind of the. The, the perceived concept right now, if we're wrong, well, it's because we don't know any more information past that. So the issue that you're running across is a couple of things. Number one, Barstool is trash, regardless of whether you like them or you don't. And whatever your opinion of <clears throat> their founder is or not, they are widely known as incredibly misogynistic and very, very racist. And whether you are that or not as a Barstool patron, um, I don't care because that's that's their reputation. That is kind of how they interact uh, with the sports world at large. It is now, a key part of their brand. It is kind of their thing. I understand that it is that misogyny and and racism is kind of rampant in any kind of sports discussion culture, but this one in particular is very grievous. And its founder obviously is uh, uh, a bit of a predator. So like this looks great for Barstool. Because now they get to say, oh, you think we're 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 sexist and racist? Well, we're giving money to a black college football player that's playing for a black college. What do you think about that? So it's great for them. It's great for Travis Henry. He makes $1.5 million to live his life with cameras in his face. And it's great for Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, because if there's any athlete in the past 30 years who know how to weaponize his fame better than anybody else, it's Deion Sanders. And he's going to use this to... Whatever end he wants. He Jackson State is not benefiting from Deion Sanders. Deion Sanders is benefiting from Jackson State and the opportunity he got there because that's how Deion Sanders rolls. So we're not totally sure. I'll just say this. This is not a pattern. This is not anything that you need to be worried about. This is a very special set of circumstances that's very hard to re repeat in any other school within the other coach. But it's still a hilarious story and something that is a win in my book. Uh, for college football at NIL. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think I think the amount of directions you could take this story um, probably span another hour's worth of podcasting at the very least, and, and <laughs> sure. y'all don't want to hear that from us, and we don't want to talk about Barstool that much, to be honest. I mean, but, but Barstool, I, I should say, is not like the only part of the story. Um, <clears throat> I think there is certainly a Deion Sanders heavy element of this. I think 
the thought that Deion Sanders is benefiting from this in a bigger way cannot be overstated. Um, I am kind of wondering whether or not he's even going to be there for much longer. Um, clearly, one of the bigger stories that kept reverberating throughout the day was the Florida State turned down the chance to hire him a few years ago when they hired Mike Norvell, and that was like that was a big reason why he went in, like he want, wanted to go in and make this happen. Um, Deion Sanders, especially because here's the thing: Deion Sanders is a good coach. Like he, it's not like he's yeah. just. Some, for one well, year. Well, he he has had good results so yes. far. Um, I mean, somebody's going to take a chance on him at some point if he has another good year or two. And well, he interviewed for TCU and they turned him down this past. Ser- so like, it, well, well, but so so the so the opportunities are going to be there, and yes. this this is the kind of thing that just like increases, like turns up the volume on that kind of stuff because clearly Deion Sanders now has the resources, has the capability to bring guys to places where they are, you know, not quote unquote supposed to go so there's that element of it like is he even going to be around at jackson state too much one thing i i do want to say because because we can talk about how much we don't like barstool we can talk about like what is Deion sanders getting out of this we can talk about how nil is like neutralizing the playing field in terms of recruiting at the end of the day this was travis hunter's decision to make Mm -hmm. um and who knows what we're going to learn about what kind of bag he secured. Um, I hope it's a big one, man. Like <laughs> I, I, re- I really do hope it's guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I hope he gets a ton of money and I hope he has a ton of fun playing with that money and playing football yep. because like, yep. th- here's the thing. I watched the video. I read his statement. He seems like a fairly knowledgeable kid. Like he fairly, he, he seems like he understands like what is happening and like the process mm-hmm. and like his letter that he posted on Twitter was, was fairly eloquent and, and like, mm-hmm very like he understood like the circumstances that he was walking into and kind of what Florida state had meant to him and and kind of like the decision he was making to turn them down to play it in HBCU. Um, I think we can talk about so many things that are kind of around Travis Hunter when it's like, Hey, he is a individual with his own agency and he made a decision that he thinks was best for him. Um, I don't know that I'm really necessarily in a place to say like what he did was like was good or not. Um, it certainly made for a fun day of sports content. <laughs> um, I mean, I really hope he does well. I mean, he's probably going to play in the NFL no matter where he goes. So I, mm-hmm. I, I hope he builds his brand as best as he can. Um, I, I think I agree with you that this particular story probably doesn't have as much to say about the future of NIL as like a lot of people are hyping it up to right now, mostly because of what we were just saying a few minutes ago. Like a week ago, everybody thought that Quinn Ewers signing a massive deal with Texas or whatever that turns out to be signified that all the Blue Bloods were going to run away with all the NIL money. Well, now here we are 10 days later and an HBCU with fairly little resources is signing the number one player in the country. The takeaway is we don't know. Like we Mm. do not know what this is going to look like for at least another five to 10 years. Um, I, I, like I said earlier, I'm interested to see what Luther burden can do with NIL opportunities at Mizzou. Um, Cause right now what we're, what we have is like a glut of funny stories, like the guy at Kansas who got sponsored by Applebee's and then like <laughs> yeah. the Travis Hunter story. We don't kind of know what the full spectrum of these types of events is. So I think I mean, maybe this is bad radio that I'm not coming out with like a takeaway, 
but I think more than anything, I'm just interested to see kind of what, how, like, not necessarily the fallout, but what comes after this. Um, and God, I really hope, I really hope Travis Hunter, like, gets a, gets like something good out of this because mm-hmm. it does sort of feel like Deion Sanders is, like you said, he's weaponizing his own fame, which again, he, he has every right to do that. And I just hope that Hunter doesn't get left in the lurch because of that. Um, and God, I, I really hope we don't have to hear more about Barstool any, any more than is necessary. I get that they're a part of the media landscape at this point. Um, but gosh, if I have to hear more like self-congratulatory talk from them and the people that, that hype them up, I, I I'm going to be sick. So yeah. Yeah. anyway, well, I, I think that it does bring kind of a point that you can tie back to Mizzou because I mean, Deion Sanders is doing what he's doing because he's not tied down by any kind of rights deals. If he were to go to a Florida state or a TCU, guess what? You've got rights deals. You got responsibilities. You have agreements and contracts that stipulate that you can't do this sort of thing. So like, he's not going to be able to pull off this sort of stunt when he, if he goes to a a team that has its own, you know, conference network, but something that you are going to see is that you're going to have players who are going to be, partnered on their own uh have their own agency with you know making money on their own with another company and that's going to be part of the recruiting process too but regardless of what how that works here's the thing for mizzou and this is this is coming from Drinkwitz himself this is something that i know we've been hammered online plenty of times about mentioning because people take bad faith arguments about what we say but let me end with this Drinkwitz had a press conference today uh they've been hitting st louis kansas City. they've been talking about the recruiting stuff and all that stuff and he said today um, that Mizzou fans, Mizzou fans, Mizzou fans need to step up with support, both in the stands and through NIL deals. He said, and I quote, the reality of it is the only way we're going to get to a championship level is for us to continue to have a championship fan base. And I've got to do a better job of putting the championship product on the field. Okay. So. He is taking blame for not putting a good product on the field. That is half the equation. The other half is fan support. And you can break that into two different quadrants too, which is buying tickets and then donating money. Flat out. You got to have money in some way, shape, or capacity to get NIL deals for these kids. It doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be some kind of mega deal where it's worth $1.5 million or whatever it is. But they got to have something to play with. The easiest way for you to get money into the program is to buy a ticket. If you live in St. Louis and Kansas City and you can't make it, guess what you can do? You can hit up, um, God, hit up an elementary school in Columbia, Missouri. Say you want to buy two tickets for kids and have a raffle and send them to the game. Uh, you can do it for uh, vets, military personnel. They they love that stuff. Hit up a, hit up the VA. Hit up some kind of charity that deals with with uh, with vets and say, hey, I want to send three or four vets, you know, or one vet in their family to the, to the stadium, uh, for this game, I'll buy the tickets. Like if you can't go send somebody else to go, if you don't want to buy the ticket, donate. But this is what the modern game is. And this is what you, what's unique about college football is you do have more agency than you think mm-hmm. you can make a difference in a number of ways. I'm not saying tweet at recruits. My stance is never tweet at recruits, but like do something. Do something, send support in some sort of way, buy a jersey, buy a shirt, buy some tickets, 
just donate to the Tiger Scholarship Fund. But if you want to see good players come to your school, you got to put money in the kitty. Best way to do that is to buy tickets or just make donations. But however you do it, Drinkwitz is asking for your help. He is admitting openly that he needs to put a better product on there. And for him to do that, we need to send more money. And I know that's not a popular, uh, popular thing to say. There's a lot of people out there who like to bash us for saying that it's quote unquote the fans fault. No, it, fans are part of the problem, just like everything else. Drinkwitz is asking for help. We can give him. We can make that difference. Well, and he he played it really diplomatic today when he was talking about how it was like, I consider it a challenge. Like whenever he was talking about how they didn't sell out a game this year. And look, I, I mean, I get that the, the show me part of Missouri is like baked into the identity of the state and the people that live there. I get it. I'm a native Missourian. Um, you got to play the game at some point. <laughs> like, I mean, I like it kind of like, different solutions i feel like you could just like workshop different things like hey if you can't make it to every game like buy season tickets and split them with people so that you can go to like one or two games and then like so that it's easier to plan for like one trip to columbia than it is for like six right Mm -hmm. um yeah man it's like at some point and and this is kind of like we we went we've had tons of conversations about this i i got i've been blown up on twitter more times than i care to count for like talking (laughs) about this um at some point, Mizzou fans are going to have to like buy in without seeing the high, high, high level success. Like, and I get that. I get that like, that gives people heartburn. And like, for some people, that's like a question of financial resources. But like, if you're waiting for another t- 2007 or 2013 season to fully commit to like supporting uh, what like Drinkwitz is doing here. That I like I don't know what to tell you. Like we've been talking about this entire time. The proof of concept is there. He's gonna bring the talent. And like if you want him to continue bringing that talent and continue upping the programs like resources in other ways, y- you have to like meet him halfway at some mm-hmm. point. Um God, I can't wait for the fan shaming comments we're gonna <laughs> But um but yeah, I mean you're right. Like I agree with you. Well take take the two thousand ten team, for example. You know, two thousand nine was a was a solid team. Um, that was Denario Alexander's year. I think they went eight and five, got, got their asses beat by Navy. Okay. 2010 starts. And you remember how 2010 ended, right? Like three losses, 10 wins. Like they're ranked. They were, they were number, they beat number one, Oklahoma. The attendance for McNeese state, San Diego state, Miami, like 50,000. They showed up for Oklahoma. Magically, we had game day and 71,000 people suddenly found a way to go to the game. But like people weren't going to the game at the beginning of the season, especially after they barely beat San Diego State. Okay. Yes, part of that is the product. But the other part is that magic, which is fans being there. Most magical moment for me, 2007, Nebraska game. I was in the band. I remember going into the stadium through the tunnel and emerging onto the field. It was perfect. It was night, and it was just gold everywhere you could see. It was blinding from the field. It was loud. It was aggressive, and we beat their asses. <laughs> it was one of the most incredible uh, moments in that stadium I've ever seen. 2010 Oklahoma was very, very similar to that. Those seasons were not starting off with like pie-in-the-sky expectations. They were like, oh, they'll be good, and like some people showed up. But it's when you really show up that it makes a difference. That's how you get recruits. That's how you impress recruits. That's how you look impressive on TV. 
That's when they're looking at, you know, moments on social media. They can see everybody there. Like, it makes a difference. And to say that you have no agency or you have no ability to make any impact, then you're just, you're saying that you don't want to do it. You don't want to make the time. You don't want to make the commitment. And I'm not saying, like you said, it is money resources and that's tight right now, but like do something, do something small. Every little bit counts. And you know, if we can do that, if everybody can do a little bit, they can make a difference and just get butts in seats, create a good atmosphere and just keep money in the bank to spend out for NIL. Like that's, that's how you do it. Yeah, we kind of sound like Wikipedia right now, asking everybody to donate $3 so that we don't go dark. <laughs> um, but I mean, like, I, but, yes. yeah, I mean, like, that's, I mean, I mean, I mean again, I, I agree with you. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's like, um, it, it, it's, isn't it every sports fan's dream to be able to like, man, if I, if like, if I wanted this bad enough, yes. my team would be better. Like yes. in college sport, college sports is really the only opportunity for you to like exercise that dream is like, Hey, do you really, really want Mizzou to be good? You can actually do something about it. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think it's a, it's a question of like culture and obviously Drinkwitz is trying to build that into Mizzou's, um, ecosystem. So, you know, hopefully it starts paying off in the seats uh, as mm-hmm. well as it is in the recruiting rankings. Yeah. I too am excited about the massive amounts of blowback that we're going to get for taking the bold stance that you can make a difference to make your college football team better, but that's okay. Uh, Josh, any parting thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, no, man. Thanks for having me on the podcast. It's, it's always fun to get the dad pod back together. And this was a, this was a fun one to talk about. It's rarely do we get to be so unabashedly positive about Mizzou sports and the fact that I got to roll in on one day because BK decided to get married and go somewhere to have fun um I will I will take that as a uh as a, 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 I will I will just freely take that gift as it were. so you timed it very well yes I, I, I would agree so Thank you for pitching in. You did excellent. That's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment. You can rate us. We love all types of feedback, especially negative stuff about how you can make a difference for your college football team. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate Edwards. He is at Josh Magica. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, I'll see you. Yo, you.